Hello, hello. Welcome to the TCC podcast. If you have been here before, then welcome back. This is the True Crime Chronicles and I am Lindsay. Be sure to follow me so you don't miss an episode. Share, comment, leave a rating, all the categories. I'm just starting out so it would help me out a ton and I would appreciate it greatly. Now, many of us are very familiar with the Friends episode. Season 3, episode 15, original air date, 2-13-1997. Now, in this episode, Rachel finds out that Ross has slept with someone else, to which Ross responds with the very impassioned, very defensive, very emphatic declaration, we were on a break. Now, this is a super divisive episode over what being on a break really means and the rules that go along with it. What type of freedom or pass does that really allow you? Now, in today's Solved Saturday case, it does mirror some elements of that infamous Friends episode. Now, today's episode navigates a love triangle between two people who are in a long-term, yet somewhat rocky on-off relationship. This couple finds themselves on a two to four week break. During this two to four week break, one part of the couple takes his freedom and begins to see another young lady. They have a lot in common and they hit it off pretty quick. So they begin to date slash hook up. Now, I would say, like, this was a pretty relatively casual thing, right? But even though it was casual, it was clear that some type of emotional connection was definitely developing between these two people. Well, when girlfriend A finds out about girlfriend B, she is livid. She calls girlfriend B and tells her in no uncertain terms to stay the fuck away from her man. Now, that didn't really phase girlfriend B too much, but as so often happens in on-off relationships, they were back on pretty quickly. Now, if you ask the guy, it was because they owned a business together, so it was more so a business deal. But of course, if you ask the girl... It's because they are in love and meant to be together. So what did that mean for the boyfriend and girlfriend B? Nothing, right? Well, if that was the case, I probably wouldn't be here telling you this story, would I? It's it's never that easy. Now, girlfriend A wants girlfriend B just wiped from boyfriend's life. She wanted him to have absolutely nothing to do with her going forward. Naturally, right? I I would think that that's a pretty natural reaction. I think we would all want communication to stop between them, right? And that was definitely the rule that she set down. Going so far as to personally block girlfriend B's number in boyfriend's phone. But also... As so often happens, boyfriend wasn't as done with girlfriend B as girlfriend A 
wanted him to be. So he would lie. Lie in order to be able to go out and see girlfriend B. But according to the boyfriend, it was only in public settings. So they weren't alone together. He would delete all of her texts, save her number under a different name. Now, don't judge this one. We've all done this at one point or another for various reasons. But he was fooling no one. Girlfriend A knew what he was doing. And if she didn't 100% know for sure, she had a pretty good idea. So I imagine she pulled his card pretty quick. Now, girlfriend B didn't really know about girlfriend A. And this all kind of comes to a head in January of 2022 at a competition that all three are involved in. Caitlin, Colin, and Mariah. So now, everyone's on the same page. But Colin still continues to see Mariah. Now, I don't know what he told her about the situation, but they continue to see each other and stay in contact, but apparently only as friends, according to him. Now, May 11th, 2022, an already volatile situation absolutely explodes. So this is the case of the murder of Mariah Wilson. Anna Mariah Wilson, or Mo for short, was born May 18th, 1996 in Littleton, New Hampshire. Two parents, Eric and Karen Cronin was her middle name and Wilson was their last name together. She had one brother, Matthew Wilson, who was younger by one year. And they grew up in Kirby, Vermont. Now, Mariah was raised in a family of incredible athletes. So she definitely fit in with the family business. Now, Mariah and her brother were raised on the ski slopes of Vermont's Northeast Kingdom, where a handful of families considered to be ski racing dynasties dominated the slopes. Me personally, I have never skied. I probably never will. I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. And I know not to get in a pair of skis. So bravo if if you're a skier. The Northeast Kingdom represents over 2,000 square miles of Vermont, and it's home to the state's most scenic and undisturbed locations on the border of Canada. Now, former Vermont Governor George D. Aiken, he fell in love with the area's geography and their way of life. He coined the term Northeast Kingdom during a meeting there in the 1940s. And that term just sort of stuck with the locals. They love it and they use it as a term of endearment for their community there. Mariah's father, Eric, had grown up nearby and skiing was in the family genes for sure. Father Eric skied for the U.S. national team and his sister, Laura, which would be Mariah's aunt, she competed in the Winter Olympics in the cross-country skiing event. Now, I'm not sure which Winter Olympics she competed in. I did look to try to find that and I couldn't really find it. But she did compete. I'm assuming she did medal because I couldn't find that either. I don't know the exact placement, but it's amazing that she made the team and competed. And at eight years old, Mariah enters her first ski race. 
Now on race days, the Wilson family would leave home before the sun came up and stop for a little indulgence that was saved only for those competition days. And that was to stop and get an Egg McMuffin, which I happen to fucking love those. (laughs) So yes, good job, Wilsons. They are amazing. Now, while Mariah was a competitive skier, she did not really meet the level that Northern Vermont was known for. Now, one of Mariah's competitors, just to give you an example, on the local youth skiing circuit was Michaela Schifrin, who would go on to become just the best in the world. So this is the type of of competition that Mariah was up against. Now, Mariah's seventh held spot in the downhill, her 11th grade year at the U.S. Nationals, that would end up being her best result that she would get. Now, Mariah wasn't a skiing prodigy, not by any means, but her work ethic and her drive couldn't be beaten. Mariah had a dream and a goal ever since she was a small child. And that was to wear one of Dartmouth's green ski suits. Now, this was according to Karen, Mariah's mother. Mariah attended Burke Mountain Academy. And according to their website, Burke Mountain Academy is a world-class ski racing boarding school in East Burke, Vermont. And the academy offers elite alpine training for grades 8 through 12. Now, it's an academy where the main focus for their students is to prepare for the Olympics and the World Cup with no more than 15 to 18 kids in a class. And it is made up mostly of very upper class families, as I guess skiing at that level is a very expensive sport. Although I do know that to be competitive in any sport, it's it's very expensive, so It doesn't surprise me that that's the same for skiing. Now, Mariah had been running around Burke Mountain Academy since she was born. Her father, Eric, was one of the ski instructors for the school. And as a middle schooler, she participated in the winter ski sessions, but didn't officially enter the school full time until the ninth grade. Now, even as early as then, her unusual power on a bicycle was observed by her coaches. Now, even though she was there for skiing, mountain biking is a cross-training staple for skiers. It's low impact, but it still uses and works out the same muscle groups as when you're skiing. And Mariah would take early morning training rides where literally no one could keep up with her. Now, Craig Sourbeer, that is an amazing name, retired from a professional career on the U.S. ski team. And he kind of went on to dabble in mountain bike racing. And he said Mariah would leave the male racers completely in her dust. She was so good that at times he and other coaches, they kind of questioned if she was in the wrong sport. Early in her sophomore year, Mariah tears her ACL. But that didn't really stop her. She loved doing the strength training that it took to get her back into competing shape. She loved to just kind of push herself and 
push her body to that physical limit just to see how far she could take it. But at a slalom race in Colorado during Mariah's postgraduate year at Burke, she tears the ACL in her other knee. Now, staying a postgraduate year was a pretty normal step for skiers looking to make the national team. And Mariah lived her dream of making it to Dartmouth to wear the green ski uniform. She found friends there, she joined a sorority, and she majored in engineering. Now, Mariah did well there with the structure of skiing and school, and she obtained her degree in engineering in 2019. But... Unfortunately, Mariah was slowly seeing her skiing dreams becoming less and less probable. Mariah had to take her freshman year off in order to heal her knee. Now, while her teammates prepared for competitions, she would spend her time free skiing and working towards keeping herself competition ready. When Mariah did return to skiing, she wasn't quite at her pre-injury level. She would always finish just outside of the spot needed in order to advance to the next race. Not only the top six competitors from each team would continue on, and Dartmouth was one of the top teams in the country, and she would always finish you know, in seventh, just right outside the reach. So Mariah worked alongside her team on long training rides and she busted ass in the weight room. And finally, it paid off when she made top billing her senior year. But this would be Mariah's last ski race. She realized her drive was in the biking world where she very quickly worked her way up to be the best, to the very top. And it was in gravel racing that Mariah Wilson would meet Colin Strickland. They met in Austin in October of 2021 on the race circuit. From there, they began a romantic relationship. Colin was currently on a break from his long-term on-again, off-again girlfriend, Caitlin Armstrong. Now, Colin and Mariah had a lot in common, both being at the top of their sport of gravel racing, but their relationship would end up being pretty short-lived. After two to four weeks of Colin and Mariah dating, Colin returned back to his previous relationship with Caitlin and seemingly cutting things off with Mariah. But When Caitlin had found out about Colin and Mariah during their break, she lost her fucking mind. So she calls Mariah and she lets her know that Colin was her boyfriend. Now, I don't know what Mariah's response to Caitlin was or how Colin explained it, but I would guess that he just went with the typical crazy ex excuse, right? Which I guess he wasn't really wrong in. But so I don't know how long they were breaking before Colin met Mariah, how long they had already been apart. But like most unhealthy on off again couples, they found their way back to each other. Again, no judgment. 
Most of us have been there at one point or another. <sighs> Lord knows I have. My 20s were a fucking circus. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like Mariah was super upset over the situation with Colin. You know, Mariah just kind of went on about her life and threw herself into racing. She was absolutely laser focused on her training. And she had a perfectionist type focus with biking like she had with skiing. But this perfectionist streak wasn't always a positive thing for Mariah. It would get to a point where it would become disruptive to her life. Now, during Mariah's school age years, for example, there was a poster project that Mariah was assigned at school and she would spend long afternoons just constantly redoing the poster over and over again after spotting, you know, what she perceived to be, you know, a small error. Now, in the sixth grade, it got to the point that Mariah couldn't even bring herself to write a complete sentence because she was putting so much pressure on herself to write the right sentence, the perfect sentence. So that, you know, kind of continued on throughout, you know, her next grades and into high school. And the Burke Academy's answer to Mariah's anxiety was to just stop giving her homework to do, which I don't know. In my humble opinion, I am not a teacher. I am a nurse, so I don't know anything about it. But I just feel like that is not at all the solution to that particular problem. I would think introducing a professional to come in and maybe work with Mariah to help give her the tools to cope and manage what appears to be her OCD and anxiety, that maybe that would have been a better solution than just stopping her homework. I don't know. But Mariah did find a hobby that did seem to help her anxiety. So when she got home from school, she would bake banana bread as a sort of therapy. And that continued for Maya through Mariah through adulthood. So Mariah continues to train and stays away from Colin, but Colin couldn't seem to stay away from Mariah. Even after Colin and Caitlin rekindled their relationship, Mariah was definitely still present in more ways than one. Now, Caitlin was still super jealous and would block Mariah's number and Colin's phone. Many arguments were had about Mariah and Caitlin's extreme jealousy and maybe even just kind of unreasonable jealousy. So, you know, why be jealous if she had Colin, right? Like, what was the big, you know, outrage over, I guess, you know, when it came to Mariah? She had Colin. They were back together. Or did she? Even though they were, I guess, technically back together, Caitlin obsessed over Colin's previous fling with Mariah. 
and she obsessed about it all the time. Now, Caitlin was also into gravel biking, but she just did not have the talent that Colin and Mariah had for the sport. Now, Colin would gush over Mariah's talent, calling her the best female cyclist in the country, if not the world. But Caitlin had talents of her own. Even though she wasn't ranked or, you know, she didn't really compete like Colin and Mariah, she was a pretty decent biker. But her passion was in yoga. Learning it, teaching it, using it to relax. Yoga was a whole lifestyle for Caitlin. And, you know, I will give it to Caitlin. She was gorgeous. Now, Caitlin was born November 21st of 1987 in Livonia, Michigan, where she was raised. She attended and graduated from Stevenson High School in 2005. From there, Caitlin would attend Schoolcraft College and Eastern Michigan University. Now, I could not find any information on whether or not she graduated from either of those schools, She did go on to become a yoga teacher, so I'm going to assume that she did her hours at a registered facility and obtained her license to teach. Caitlin was also a licensed realtor. I don't know where she obtained her realtor license from. Now, Colin Arturo Strickland was born November 7th, 1986 in Johnson City, Texas, where he grew up on a farm. By his 20s, Colin was using cycling as a form of transportation. His first experience with bike racing came in 2010 at the North American Handmade Bike Show, where he won. But it wasn't until 2019 that Strickland rose to prominence by winning the Unbound Gravel 200. Colin had previously won the Gravel Worlds in 2017 and 2018, but the reason that the 2019 race was so important for Colin's career was because in that race, there were there were several current UCI World Tour professional riders, and they were competing in that competition with Colin, and Colin beat all of them. And from there, he just soared in the gravel racing circuit, which led him to his eventual meeting with Mariah Wilson. Now, I'm not quite sure how Caitlin made it down to Texas or why she moved there from Michigan, but she did. And eventually meets Colin around the 2017-2018 timeframe. And from there, they started a relationship and they had been in a, you know, three-year on-off relationship by the time October of 2021 came around. So we're going to kind of go back to Caitlin's jealousy. Yes, she had gotten back with Colin. She blocked Mariah's number. So what was the problem? Well, I think we can all guess the problem, right? The problem was Colin was still in contact with Mariah. 
How? Well, by lying. This is where he would put Mariah's number under a different name in his phone. He would always delete their texts after speaking. Or when they were in the same state, he would lie about seeing her. So honestly, it would make sense that Mariah would be confused about the state of their relationship. Now, the following January, according to text messages that Colin showed police, Mariah was still very confused by Colin's intentions. And that kind of tells you right there that this was not as over or as platonic as he was telling people, Caitlin included. Now, Mariah did not live in Texas, but she had a very good friend who did. Mariah met Caitlin Cash, who will be referred to as just Cash from here on out, just to keep it from being confusing. And she meets Cash through her family. Cash worked as a project manager for a tech company in Austin, Texas. But a year into the 2020 COVID pandemic, Cash and a group of friends decided to buy an old inn together in East Burke, the tiny town in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom. And it's about 45 minutes from the Canadian border. And the placement of this inn was fantastic. It was directly across the street from the Kingdom Trails. Now, Kingdom Trails is a network of a hundred private landowners' properties, and they allow the trails to be available for public use by either like a day pass or a membership. But the rule on the trails is that they are for non-motorized use only. Now, this was great for cash in two ways. One, for her new inn, right? Lots of business. And two, Cash was also big into bike racing and had a close circle of cycling friends. Now, while at the Rooted Race one weekend where Mariah was racing and Cash was just kind of helping out, she sees Mariah's family there kind of cheering her on and she realizes that they're neighbors in East Burke. So she begins a relationship with Karen, Mariah's mother, and she would go on bike rides and stack firewood and just sort of friendly stuff with her brother, Matt. So in late October 2021, around the time Mariah and Colin are ending their fling. Cash is in Alabama at a race, and so is Mariah. So the girls finally meet at a bar later that night. And from there, and it didn't take long, just a few weeks actually, Mariah goes down to Austin and she stays with Cash in her apartment. Now they didn't ride together. Cash was nowhere near being on Mariah's level. But they liked to do other things together. They loved to cook. They both worked from the apartment. Mariah kind of set up shop in the kitchen while Cash worked out of the loft. In December, Mariah heads home for Christmas and she brings Cash with her. This began, you know, a banger year on the bike for Mariah. She won almost every race she entered. Big Sugar, 
the Gravel Hugger Rock Cobbler. She placed second at the, I don't know if it's Leadville or Leadville and Mid-South. First in the Belgian Waffle Ride by more than 30 minutes. And first again at Sea Otter. Now, I'm going to tell you. Researching this sort of rocked my world in a way that I wasn't prepared for. I had no idea that it was Belgian waffle my entire life, up until now. I thought they were Belgium waffles, like the country. Fine, okay, finding that out, it just, it, it shook me. And I don't want to say just a little. I really, I had to take a step back. Okay. But moving on. So by May, Mariah is back in Austin with cash and preparing for the Gravel Locos ride on May 20th. And that's going to be in nearby, I'm assuming it's Hico, Texas, maybe Hico, Texas. I'm not super for sure how to say it. It's H-I-C-O. Terrible at pronouncing things. So if I said it wrong, let's just pretend I didn't. Now, it's on this trip that Mariah is contacted by Colin again. Now, remember, they've never really lost touch since the previous October, even after his reconciliation with Caitlin. So Colin was well aware that Mariah was back in Austin. So this brings us to May 11th of 2022. That afternoon, Mariah texts Cash that she will be meeting up with Colin later that night. So 5.30 p.m., Cash leaves to go meet some of her friends for dinner, right? Knowing that Mariah had plans, so Cash just kind of goes out with some other friends. Now, 5.45, Colin arrives at Cash's house to pick up Mariah for their outing, and he picks her up on his motorcycle, At 5.55, Cash receives a notification that her electronic door has been locked. And that's basically signaling that Mariah had just left with Colin. Now, I don't know the exact time that Mariah and Colin arrive at the deep eddy pool to go swimming, but they arrive. Now, the deep eddy pool is a historic man-made swimming pool in Austin, It's the oldest swimming pool in Texas, and it features a bathhouse that was built during the Depression area. So I saw the pictures. It actually looked pretty fucking awesome. Very pretty. I don't swim, so I would not uh, utilize that facility, even though I grew up in South Florida. Not a swimmer. So they hang out there for a while, And they get done swimming. They head next door to the pool burger to go and eat. At 8.16 p.m., they get on Colin's motorcycle and head back to Maple Avenue, where Cash's apartment is, to drop Mariah off. At 8.26 p.m., a Jeep Grand Cherokee that is later identified as belonging to Caitlin is seen driving around the block of Cash's apartment multiple times. At 8.36 p.m., the unique code given to Mariah to utilize the door 
shows that it's used to unlock it. Also, at 8.36, Colin drives northbound through an alleyway north of East 18th Street, and he stops at the end of the alley to send Caitlin a text message. Now, of course, the text message says nothing about meeting up with Mariah. In fact, he told a complete lie. See, Colin not only had to explain his absence, but also why he had turned his phone off for hours. Hours that, no doubt, Caitlin tried to call repeatedly. Well, Colin didn't fail there. No, no. He had an excuse ready. I wouldn't say necessarily a good excuse, though. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say that, but an excuse nonetheless. So the text that Colin sent to Caitlin went like this. Went to drop some flowers off at someone's house. Now, I'm not going to use the actual name that was in the text just because I don't really want to put their name out there. I mean, you can Google it and find it, but I'm not going to use it. And that while he was there, his phone died and that he was heading home unless she had dinner suggestions. Now, first off, Caitlin clearly already knew that Colin was full of shit about his evening plans. Second, if his phone was dead all evening and now it's all of a sudden charged, why didn't he charge it earlier? Like, he's not home yet to charge it and he's on a bike. So, it's just not a very good excuse. Although, I guess technically he could have said, like, he didn't know it was dead And he just realized it, but then how did he charge it so quickly? I don't know. I mean, I guess either way you look at it, it was just a lame as fuck excuse. At 8.37, Caitlin's Jeep is seen on a street next to Cash's apartment. Now, from 8.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., Cash's landlord, who lives in the larger house on the property, He's in the garage, which is beneath Cash's rental unit. Now, while he is in the garage, right, the landlord, he hears what he believes is someone running down the stairs from the apartment into the alley. From beneath the partly raised garage door, he sees a, like a cyclist, southbound in the alley. Important to note, The only item later discovered missing from Cash's apartment was Mariah's bike. But it didn't go far. It's found hidden in some like vegetation and bushes about 20 yards south. So the direction that the landlord saw the biker. Sometime roughly around 843, Colin says he arrives home to his East Congress neighborhood which is roughly about seven miles from Cash's apartment. Now, surveillance video from a car dealership that was kind of close by to Colin's house, it shows him passing by there at 8.48. So there's a few minute discrepancy there. But right around the time that he does get home, Colin sends a second text to Caitlin with no response. Now at 9.21, 
Colin sends Caitlin a third message, again with no answer. But shortly after sending that third message, Caitlin returns home driving the Jeep. At 9.54 p.m., Cash returns home. Now, Mariah's travel bike bag, it's now at the bottom of the stairs and the apartment door is unlocked. Inside the apartment, Cash finds Mariah on the bathroom floor covered in blood. 9.56, Cash calls 911 and begins CPR on Mariah. Now, I don't know what the exact time that law enforcement and emergency services arrive, but Mariah is pronounced dead very shortly after they do get there. Now, Mariah's autopsy report. That showed, obviously, that her death was a homicide. Now, I've seen one report that said there was two shots and one report that said at least three shots. So I'm going to go with the most recent report. And that autopsy report showed that on the evening of May 11th, police were called to an apartment on Maple Avenue where they find Mariah Wilson dead on the bathroom floor with at least three bullet wounds, two to the head and a third to her chest that allegedly occurred after she was already lying supine on the floor. Now, she had an exit wound on her back, and police would find a bullet and chipped tile underneath her. Now, Mariah would have lacerations on a right finger and under her chin. Now, according to the report, police also find shell casings that were labeled 9 millimeter. J-A-G in the room. So the autopsy report, it stated that Mariah was lying supine on the floor. So if she was supine, she would have been lying on her back with her face facing upwards. Now, I don't know if the shots they were referencing, you know, as being done when she was in this position. I don't know if that was the shot to the chest or the shots to the head, or if all the shots were done while she was lying supine. Like, I wasn't able to clarify that part exactly. Although, it sounds more like an execution to me, right? And if I had to guess, I would guess that Caitlin maybe caught her in the bathroom, possibly, And from there, Caitlin shoots her in the chest and Mariah falls on her back. And then she kind of finishes her with two shots to the head. That's maybe my guess. Obviously, I will never know that. Caitlin's probably the only one that that knows that. But just from what I read, that would probably be my best guess. So from here, the investigation into who killed Mariah begins. And the police know right where to start. So they immediately want to speak to Colin Strickland. It didn't take long for police to realize Colin wasn't involved, but that he could definitely point them in the right direction. During Colin's police interview at first, he denied even knowing Mariah Wilson. 
He explained that Caitlin and him had been in a somewhat rocky three-year relationship. They owned a business together called Wheelhouse Mobile, where they refurbish vintage trailers. Now, according to Colin, Caitlin was responsible for setting up the website and was the accounts payable manager. He also said that Caitlin had nothing to do with the building processes or designs or anything like that. Now, also on the website for Wheelhouse Mobile, Caitlin Armstrong was listed as Colin's partner and financial guru. And it said that she led him to realize that they could build this into something much greater than a one-off passion project. Now, Wheelhouse Mobile's Instagram page has been deactivated for reasons I think we can all pretty much guess. The link to the website's official IG page reads, sorry, this page isn't available. The link you followed may be broken or the page may have been removed. Go back to Instagram. So I think we can pretty much guess. And the Austin police did say too that Caitlin's social media profiles, those were all erased after the news of Mariah Wilson's murder became public. But in that interview, Colin would go so far as to intimate that they were only in a relationship due to their business interests only. So this was supposedly just a business partnership for him, not so much a relationship. I don't know how much of that I believe, but that's what he said. Now, Colin explains that things kind of came to a head around October of 2021, and that led to him and Caitlin taking another break in their relationship. Now, during this break is when he admits to meeting Mariah Wilson. They had a fling, his words, not mine. And about a month later, Mariah goes back home to California and him and Caitlin reconcile and resume their business partner relationship. Now, since the reconciliation, Colin told police that his relationship with Mariah had been strictly platonic and professional. He often saw Mariah at cycling events and always in a public setting. But in that same interview, Colin also told investigators that he had kept ongoing communication with Mariah and had kept it a secret from Caitlin. After she made it clear how she felt by blocking Mariah's number in his phone. So he did what so many men and sometimes women do all the time. Deleted her text, hit her phone number under another name, lied about when he would go see her. Doesn't sound platonic, but again, I wasn't there. But Colin did tell police that he lied to Caitlin on May 11th when him and Mariah went swimming and out for dinner. During his interview, police said that Colin lavished Mariah with praise, calling her the best female cyclist in the world and only referring to Caitlin as a participant in races saying Caitlin complained that he was grumpy when he had to wait for her to catch up to him during their bike racing training. Colin also mentioned in this interview that he had purchased two firearms, a Springfield Armory handgun for himself and a Sig Sauer handgun for Caitlin. 
Colin purchased the firearms sometime between December 2021 and January of 2022. Now, we would learn later on that Caitlin learned how to use a firearm with her sister prior to the shooting death of Mariah. And Colin backed, you know, that statement up saying that Caitlin had been known to visit unknown gun ranges with her sister in order to learn how to use the firearm. So they kind of got a tip that came in that said, hey, she would fire this with her sister. Colin backed that up. After speaking with police, Colin issued a statement about his and Caitlin's vintage trailer business and then took down the business's website. And apparently, you know, their social media he took down also, at least their Instagram. When the police asked Colin about Mariah, he also included that there was a text exchange between himself and Mariah in January of 2022 that led the police to believe that Mariah was under the impression that her and Colin were not just having some sort of platonic and professional relationship. So Mariah sends a text to Colin after seeing Colin and Caitlin together at a cycling event. So it all kind of comes to a head at the first of the year. And I think both women at that point are kind of catching on to what he's doing. So Mariah sends Colin a text and it says, hey, so, and I'm going to put that she included three O's. I would like to talk to you at some point. I had originally texted you on Friday, but it appears my texts aren't going through again. I'm assuming they're green instead of blue, and that's because he was either with Caitlin and had blocked Mariah's number, or Caitlin had gotten the phone and blocked Mariah's number. <laughs> but she goes on to say, this weekend was strange for me, and I just want to know what's going on. If you just want to be friends, seems to be the case, then that's cool. But I'd like to talk about it because honestly, my mind has been going in circles and I don't know what to think. Now, Colin wouldn't send her a response until the next day. And he says, hey, Mo, I feel very shitty for putting you in a position where you don't feel comfortable. Caitlin came along. In hindsight, this was not a good idea. So what exactly wasn't a good idea? I don't know. And Caitlin came along when? At the event or came back along in October? I don't know. But while Colin was doing his interview in one room, Caitlin was also being interviewed in another room. But it wasn't about the murder of Mariah Wilson. It was about an unrelated misdemeanor warrant that was currently out for her. Apparently, Caitlin skipped out on a Botox bill in 2018 and the Dermy office filed charges. So Caitlin was arrested and held on the misdemeanor warrant. But while she's being held, the investigators are going to take this time to question her about Mariah, about her following Mariah on her IG two months before Mariah ends up murdered about the numerous times that Caitlin had attempted to get in contact with Mariah and telling her that she was Collins and Mariah needed to stay the fuck away, right? After all that nonsense, you know, Mariah blocks her number, as she should, 
that's just ridiculous. Whatever. Now, the investigators asked Caitlin about the secret meeting between Colin and Mariah on May 11th. And Caitlin did not take that conversation well. She became visibly upset with police and rolled her eyes and told them that she had absolutely no idea that Colin had seen or even went out with this girl. Investigators also noticed a physical reaction when Colin's meetup with Mariah was mentioned. According to police, Caitlin began to physically shake. Now, later in the interview, police brought up the surveillance footage of Caitlin's Jeep that was circling around Mariah's neighborhood and parking across the street one minute after Colin had dropped Mariah off. They also told her some of the details that Colin had told them. They let Caitlin know that things did not look very good for her, and she nodded her head in agreement, but she did not make a comment, which I guess in her case was probably a good thing. However, Caitlin ended up being set free. Turns out that the warrant she was being held on had a clerical error on her date of birth, and she was let go. So a search warrant had been being served at Colin and Caitlin's home. Now, when they served this search warrant, they found Caitlin's Sig Sauer. Unfortunately, though, the ballistics, like the test results, they didn't come in until May 17th. That matched the casings found at Cash's apartment to Caitlin's Sig. And by the time the arrest warrant for Mariah Wilson's murder was issued for Caitlin Armstrong, she was long gone. Like, she was now officially a fugitive. At this point, with Caitlin gone and no one knowing where she was or what she was planning on doing from here, people were on edge and not just law enforcement. Colin was freaking out and he was scared. Rightfully so. I would have been terrified. And he didn't know if Caitlin was going to come for him next or even where she was. So Colin takes off too. He goes completely underground and flees the state of Texas. Now, a close friend of Colin's, who was also employed by him and Caitlin at Wheelhouse Mobile, his name was David. And he gave some insight into Colin's mindset at that time. David said, none of us can sleep. He's, meaning Colin, staying out of sight until she... Caitlin is caught. David was aware of Colin's current location, but was keeping it withheld for his safety. But he did confirm that Colin had gotten the fuck out of Texas. But David did offer some thoughts on Caitlin. And he stated that before the murder, the person I knew was a really sweet and nice human that was trying to make her dream in this world come true, right? Whatever that dream was to her. Now, Caitlin always had goals that she was after and just always kept busy. There were no red flags that would have indicated anything that would have ended with this result. So apparently she she didn't show warning behavior or concerning behavior, at least not you know, to outside people. Now, what she showed at home, you know, between her and Colin, I don't know. 
When speaking about Mariah's murder, David said, after it happened, Caitlin didn't go home and do what most soap operas would have had her do, which would have been to go back home and kill Colin as well, which unfortunately could have been a very likely result. It definitely is something that we have seen in other cases. And honestly, I kind of expected it to happen in this one too, to be 100% honest, but luckily it didn't. And quite possibly it didn't happen because Colin had the sense to get the fuck up out of there. Which clearly was Caitlin's thought process as well. Because as soon as she was let out of jail on the technicality of the wrong date of birth, Caitlin got the fuck up out of Texas as well. Caitlin deleted all of her social media accounts on May 13th, but she didn't stop there. May 13th was a very busy day for Miss Armstrong. Caitlin goes down to a local CarMax in South Austin, and she sells her black Jeep Grand Cherokee for $12,200. So this was on Friday. By Saturday, May 14th, Caitlin is on a plane out of Austin into Houston, where she then boards a Southwest flight to New York's LaGuardia Airport. And the next day, possibly the day after, Caitlin is again on a plane flying out of New Jersey and headed down to Costa Rica. So she goes to Costa Rica. She lands in Santa Teresa. Santa Teresa is a popular vacation spot on the Pacific Coast for people like Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen. So no, no place I would probably vacation. Not yet anyway, but honestly, flying over water like that scares the shit out of me. So even if I was on that vacation level, I don't know that I would do it. But anyhow, so while Caitlin's making her way down to Costa Rica, things in Austin are heating up. While Caitlin is spotted boarding a plane at Austin International Bergstrom Airport, May 14th, a tipster is speaking with the Austin police. Now, this person tells law enforcement that when Caitlin found out in January that Colin and Mariah were still seeing each other and still carrying on a relationship of sorts, she tells this tipster she wanted to kill Mariah. Now, okay, was this said out of anger exaggeration. I don't know. I mean, I would think that everyone has said at one point or another out of anger or frustration, "Ugh, I am going to kill that bitch or something similar. But typically, we don't follow through with it. May 18th, Caitlin is seen being dropped off at Newark Liberty International Airport in New Jersey after flying into LaGuardia. May 19th, the warrant for Caitlin Armstrong's arrest is issued for the first-degree murder of Mariah Wilson. May 20th, 2022, Colin Strickland releases a statement through his lawyer to the Austin American Statesman, which is their local newspaper. 
And in this statement, he offers his sympathy to the Wilson family. And he goes on to explain that him and Mariah only had a very brief romantic relationship. May 21st, Mariah Wilson's family comes out with a statement of their own. The Wilsons released a statement to KXAN saying very clearly that at the time of Mariah's death, she was not in a relationship with anyone, Colin included. Now, that being said, there seems to be conflicting accounts on the nature of Colin and Mariah's relationship. I totally get they're wanting to make sure that Mariah is not viewed in a particular way. And she shouldn't be. But I would 100% bet that Colin and Mariah had something that maybe she didn't tell her parents about. And it's very possible that Mariah didn't consider what she and Colin had a relationship at all. Or she wasn't really sure what it was or what exactly was going on. So she just didn't say anything. And I definitely don't think that it's out of the realm of absolute likelihood that Mariah just didn't want to talk with her parents about her sex life or her personal life. I don't know a whole lot of people that discuss their friends with benefits situation with their parents. I'm sure that they're out there and I'm sure probably more people than I realize do. But I don't really know anyone that does. I don't know. So I just feel like that very likely could have been the case in this situation. Now, May 23rd, U.S. Marshals make a statement to KXAN reporters that they still believe Kaylin Armstrong is still in Texas. Now, May 24th, Bellow News reports that many of Colin's sponsors, including his main sponsors, Specialized and Rafa, they have cut ties with Colin Strickland and ended their sponsorships. Also on May 24th, Caitlin Armstrong's father appears on Good Morning America and he stands up for his daughter. He says that he believes Caitlin is innocent. Now, I don't know if he really did believe that or if denial was taking over, but I would expect for her parents to be supportive, especially since it seems that there's a really good possibility that Caitlin's sister was somewhat involved with helping Caitlin on her little getaway trip, but we will get there very shortly. May 25th, U.S. Marshals report that Caitlin Armstrong flew to LaGuardia Airport on May 14th. June 6th of 2022, U.S. Marshals report that Caitlin was taken to and dropped off at Newark Liberty International Airport on May 18th. And this was a couple days after she arrived at LaGuardia Airport. And it's at this point that the investigation gets upgraded to a major case status. Now, I don't know what it was classified as before, but it's now a major case. And 
$5,000 is being offered for any information that leads to Caitlin's arrest. June 15th. Fox News reports that Caitlin was spotted at the Camp Haven Campground in Livingston Manor, New York, exactly one month ago. So that would have been May 14th. They see her at this campground. Now, this is according to another camper at the Camp Haven Campground, who then contacted Fox News anonymously. Now, this sighting does coincide with Caitlin's flight into LaGuardia Airport. Now, by coincidence or not, I will let you decide. Caitlin's sister, Christine, happens to work at that particular campground and has been staying there long term. And the anonymous camper also said that Christine has since been interviewed by the U.S. Marshals. I bet she has. She'll be lucky if charges, you know, aren't brought against her. But I guess they probably would be at this point if they were going to. The marshals would not confirm that they spoke with Christine, but they did confirm that the campground location was a part of the manhunt for Caitlin Armstrong. Now, private investigator Jason Jensen tells KXAN that he believes Caitlin is maybe using her sister's name, Christine as an alias, either somewhere in New York State or in Canada. So it appears that a lot was happening on June 15th. June 23rd, U.S. Marshals announced that Caitlin's vehicle, the Black Jeep Grand Cherokee, the one that she sold to the CarMax in South Austin for the $12,200 on May 13th, that has been located. The reward for information leading to Caitlin's arrest has been increased to $6,000 with an additional $15,000 now being put up by an anonymous donor. June 30th, Costa Rica's General Migration Directorate spokesperson tells CNN that Caitlin is using an identification and alias that is not her own, but that she was using a legitimate passport to enter the country, it just wasn't hers. Also, on June 30th of 2022, U.S. Marshals announced that Kaylin Armstrong has been apprehended and arrested in Costa Rica. According to the Austin American Statesman, Kaylin will be being brought back to the United States within the next few days, where she will be charged with the first-degree murder of Mariah Wilson and also unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. U.S. Marshals apprehended Caitlin on June 29th at a hostel in Santa Teresa. Again, this is a known vacation town in Costa Rica, but it is also a very popular spot for yogis and surfers. So not only did they find Caitlin using a totally different name and identification. And that included two passports, you know, one hers and one her sister Christine's, which we assumed that she was using. These were found in a locker after she was arrested with various credit cards and a plastic surgery receipt for $6,350. This was written out under someone else's name also. But 
In addition to a different name and identification, they also found an entirely new Caitlin. July 1st, details about the capture of Caitlin Armstrong start to come out. Now, Caitlin, as we know, was in Santa Teresa when she was apprehended. But what was she doing there? Caitlin had the $12,200 from the sale of her Jeep, but she also had access to more than $450,000. How, you ask? Was she just a banger saver? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know her personally to know what her saving habits were. But this particular chunk of money came from Colin. He had given it to Caitlin as investment capital before she did her disappearing act down to Costa Rica. Now, according to the warrants that were released, Colin had asked for that money back. But obviously, Caitlin was not going to be returning that. And it was a lot of money. But I don't know if it was enough for her to live on for the rest of her life. Now, Caitlin was staying in a hostel to help live as economically as possible during her time on the run. But Caitlin did what many American expats did in Costa Rica or people just looking to live a nomadic and fairly off the grid kind of life. She went to Santa Teresa to just start over and create a new life and a new identity. And I mean, let's be real, she was running from her old life, but she did not do a very good job at this in the employment department because instead of creating a new life, Caitlin was looking to recreate her old one. So what do I mean by that? Well, Caitlin went back to what she knew and what she loved, which was yoga. She was an avid yogi and instructor in the United States, and she was looking to continue that in Costa Rica. Now, unfortunately for Caitlin, that made it very easy for law enforcement to track her down. If she was smart, she would have become like a waitress or something just completely out of her norm. Now, law enforcement said they knew that she would be associated with some type of yoga studio. And considering that she was seen on surveillance camera at the airport with her yoga mat, I would definitely say she didn't make it too hard for them. Even though Caitlin really didn't move around too much once she got there. So foreign officials go to the yoga studio and checked out their handwritten, like their sign-in list. And on this list was the name and alias that Caitlin had been using since her travel adventure started. Now, once they developed, you know, her pattern for going to the studio and just kind of her daily routine, they were very quickly able to just close in on Caitlin and arrest her. Also, the U.S. Marshals said that they received dozens of tips placing Caitlin in Costa Rica. Now, I don't know if those tips were from like locals in Costa Rica or other people who had relocated there for one reason or another, or if this came from family and friends in the United States. 
So the exact order of events that led up to Caitlin's capture have been reported slightly differently, depending on who is doing the reporting. Now, according to the Daily Mail, Caitlin was apprehended when local police in Santa Teresa ran a background check on a name that she gave them during a stop in town. And they found no record of anyone with that name entering into the country. So Caitlin is then said to have told law enforcement her real name. And obviously from there, they find that a high profile arrest warrant has been issued for her. But it wasn't just her name and identification that threw law enforcement off, but also her appearance. Caitlin, contrary to law enforcement's belief that she was relatively sedentary in Costa Rica, had actually been quite busy with doctor appointments and recovery. See, Caitlin had spent $6,350,000 on a whole new face. She had gotten extensive plastic surgery since her arrival in her tropical refuge. Now, before I get into everything she changed, and it was a lot, I just want to touch on how she got this done so fast. Because for all the work that she got done, and again, it was a lot, she would have had to have gotten it done literally the day that she got there to have healed to the extent that she was when she was captured. Now, I doubt she blew into town and was able to make a same-day appointment. Although, you know what, maybe. I don't know how the plastic surgery business is in Costa Rica, but I'm going to guess, no, they've got, you know, pre-tests they need to do to make sure it's safe to put, you know, just a lot to do. So was the appointment already made? Like how far in advance was all of this planned? And I don't mean just the plastic surgery. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't have answers for any of that. And honestly, I probably never will. That's probably something that is not ever going to be fully known or released or anything like that. She's not going to tell. But I am definitely curious. Now, rumor has it that she was trying to change her face to look more like her sister, Christine. And that's whose identification she was using. So that would make sense. And... She did change. She changed a lot. Her entire face shape changed. So her chin was significantly smaller and much more round. Her nose had taken on a different shape as well. Although I did read that she only got her nostrils lessened. I I don't know if that is the... uh, like correct word, I guess. But anyhow, she made him smaller. And I don't know what all she had done, but those were two things that definitely stuck out that you could tell in immediate change. So in addition to the plastic surgery, Caitlin was also found with her hair cut short and dyed a dark brown. Now, I will say though that her long kind of strawberry blonde curly hair was gorgeous like it really was but other than that she sucks but her hair amazing so june 29th 
Costa Rica. Even though the officials in Costa Rica were going door to door looking for the Caitlin Armstrong that got on the plane in Austin. But even with all the changes, like they were certain that this was Caitlin Armstrong. This is who they were looking for. So when they find Caitlin at the hostel, and I believe it's like the hostel Don Juan is the name. It is documented that she did have a bandage on her nose with kind of the remnants of two black eyes left on her face, which that is super common after a nose job procedure and also certain other, you know, facial plastic surgery procedures. Now, the pictures that I saw of her, though, I couldn't see any indications of black eyes at all. And according to her, she didn't have any plastic surgery. Not at all. She injured her nose, face area during a surfing accident and was hit with her board. Now, that's bullshit. Um, A surfing accident doesn't change the shape of your face. And it doesn't change the shape of your nose or depending on which report you read, the lessening of her nostrils. So once Caitlin was correctly identified, law enforcement there began the process of extraditing her back to the United States. So June 30th, after Caitlin is in custody, she is then transported by Costa Rican authorities to Centro de Aprehensión Regional Central. And this is a prison in Los Lagos where she is held while they organize her deportation or extradition back to the United States. But the deportation process can take up to 30 days. Fortunately, though, it it didn't take nearly that long. Less than a week after being taken into custody, Caitlin is sent home the July 4th weekend, which oddly, that's a day that represents freedom, right? The irony. (laughs) I giggled. Anyhow, though, so she's returned to the United States and into the custody of the U.S. Marshals, where she settled into the Travis County Jail. Now, ABC 13 shares a video of Caitlin with her short, dark brown dyed hair and newly healed facial alterations looking literally almost unrecognizable to the, you know, picture of her before, right? The person that we're supposed to be looking for. And she's being escorted by two officers, one on each side through the George Bush International Airport. And she's placed into a waiting van outside. Now her bail for first degree murder and a federal charge of unlawful flight to avoid prosecution was set at $3.5 million with bail stipulations of a GPS monitoring bracelet and an 8 p.m. curfew. So those are also included in Caitlin's bond agreement. So Caitlin hasn't posted a bond, and I highly doubt she will. But honestly, even as unattainable as that bond is, I'm really shocked that she got any bail at all, especially after her little vacation that she took. You know, in all, Caitlin Armstrong was a fugitive for 43 days. Now, from what I understood, I believe in most states, murder is not a bondable offense. But I I mean, I guess in Texas it is, and I'm sure maybe in other states it is. 
I don't know. I always thought that murder one was non-bondable, but I am wrong. Now, the Wilson family, who had remained pretty quiet during the investigation, they said in a released statement, we're relieved to know that this phase of uncertainty is now behind us, and we trust that justice will prevail. July 20th, 2022, Caitlin goes to her first court appearance, where she enters a not guilty plea. She also requests to exercise her right to a speedy trial, but the prosecutors argued that they haven't received all of the evidence from the case yet. Now, Caitlin's lawyer, Rick Coffer, said that they're ready to go to trial now. Now, at this hearing, the fleeing to avoid prosecution charge for whatever reason is dropped. After the hearing, lawyer Rick gives a statement that there are other sides to this story. He says there is a big picture here. This is the beginning of a process that will play out in court, and it should play out in court. We understand that there are questions that need to be answered, and we are looking forward to doing so. But we also have some questions of our own. Now, he then went on to call that day's proceedings illuminating, I guess. And reiterated that Caitlin, you know, wants her day in court. Now, the state's response to the speedy trial request was interesting to me. A prosecutor who is a contributor or like correspondent for that news station, they were surprised at the defense's rush. And they gave a statement to Fox 7 saying, I don't know what kind of privilege this particular defendant has to cut in front of all those people who have been waiting for their trial. Moreover, he added, I know the defense hasn't seen all of the evidence because we don't have all of the evidence to give them. Now, I'm not sure. Like at first, this sounded like it was a, a correspondent or something. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it is just a correspondent or legal contributor for Fox 7, but I think it might have been one of the prosecutors on the case just because of the way that it was referenced. We don't have all the evidence to give to them. But the way I read it in the article, it sounded like it was just a contributor. So I'm, I'm not really sure on that. But I found it interesting because is she cutting I mean, doesn't she have a right to a speedy trial? As much as the other people waiting on a trial had the right to turn one down and wait for their trial. I just, I don't think that that was a very fair statement. But I don't know. I mean, that was just kind of my opinion on that. Now, when referencing the defense's motions, challenging the investigation's findings, Lawyer Rick said, all I can ask of the press here is that you not consider everything told to you by law enforcement as confirmed and reportable facts. Simply put, there is a lot more to this story than has yet been heard. Now, initially, all parties were set to reconvene in court on October 19th, with the trial starting October 24th. Now, this was in 2022, but August 18th, 2022, 
Lawyer Rick and his team file a 178-page motion that addressed specific points in a lengthy affidavit. Now, this motion alleged that the affidavit was full of lies, mischaracterizations, and reckless disregard for the truth. Now, Lawyer Rick further alleges that the evidence of his client, Miss Armstrong's guilt is, in his words, flawed. Okay. So while the defense is disputing a lot of claims, they are not denying that Caitlin did obtain and use false identification to flee the country. A hearing is now set for August 24th so that District Judge Brenda Kennedy can determine the validity of the motions. Okay, so here's where I'm going to put in this information. It's not, you know, legally documented information, but it is a theory that I have read about in multiple places, including one of my Twitter followers who swears by this scenario. Personally, I don't believe any of it, but I've seen it repeated enough times that I'm going to go ahead and put it in here. So, rumor has it, and this is strictly rumor, right? Like, there is nothing that backs this up as far as actual evidence. But, rumor has it that Colin was abusive to Caitlin. Physically, emotionally, verbally, psychology, all the ologies, right? So, in this version, it is Colin who kills Mariah. Possibly, I guess, he is trying to maybe set up Caitlyn. Why he would do this, I have no idea. How he would be able to be in two places at one time. I don't know that either. Since Caitlyn's Jeep was seen driving around Cash's place when Colin and Mariah were known to be together. Unless the defense maybe is saying that the black Jeep wasn't actually Caitlyn's at all. I, I don't know. Anyhow, so after Mariah is murdered, Caitlyn flees and undergoes crazy changes via plastic surgery. Not because she was guilty, but because she was afraid of Colin. So she did all of that in order to hide from him. Now, I just want to be clear. I do not in any way think this has any type of validity whatsoever. But I wanted to include it because I had seen it mentioned numerous times. So moving on. August 24th of 2022. According to Dallas-Fort Worth's NBC station, the originally set mid-October trial date is going to be delayed as both sides met with the judge to discuss the mountain of motions filed by the defense, including one that would gag the prosecution from talking to the public ahead of the trial date. Now, both sides end up agreeing to the gag order that would prevent, you know, prejudicial comments being made to the media. Now, September 16th, 2022, Dateline NBC airs a new episode that has followed the case up to this point. This episode had an interview with lawyer Rick where he claims the state's case against his client was weak. So, so much for the gag order, right? 
October 19th, 2022, lawyer Rick filed motions to suppress evidence, including information from her original questioning by investigators back in May. Now, at this point, the trial is still set to begin next week. October 26th of 2022. The October 24th trial date, it came and went. Now, Fox News in Austin reports that attorneys for both sides now have until November 9th to file memorandums based on the pretrial hearings. November 8th of 2022. Tomorrow, an announcement is going to be made regarding if the judge is going to throw out certain interviews and evidence. So November 9th comes and Judge Brenda Kennedy she completely rejects the defense's motions to suppress certain evidence and interviews. And she sets a trial date for June of 2023. Jurors will be called June 22nd with the trial to start on June 26th. Now, Judge Brenda said there was probable cause for Caitlin Armstrong's arrest and there was no evidence of any intentional disregard for the truth. So no intentional lies in the affidavits. Texas-based journalist Robert Riggs commented on the speedy trial aspect and it being continued out past the time frame. Now he said, while it seems like a win for the prosecution, I think this ruling sets up the defense for an appeal if the trial doesn't go their way. And that makes sense. I can definitely see that being an appealable thing. Okay, so jump forward all the way to April 20th, 2023. So this is Caitlin's first court appearance where cameras are present and filming in the courtroom. The trial is confirmed to proceed on the June 26th trial date. Caitlin's defense team reiterates that she still continues to claim not guilty and again requests a speedy trial. But the defense also noted that they might request more time to gather evidence and witnesses. So the defense is given until May 1st of 2023 to make that decision. May 8th, 2023. The trial start date is moved again from June 26th to October 30th. Lawyer Rick requested and was granted a delay in order to allow for more time to secure witnesses and other evidence for Caitlin's defense. So all seemed good, right? Everyone's getting ready for trial until Caitlin decides to hail Mary it and act a complete ass. October 11th, Travis County Sheriff's Office Corrections Officers I believe there was two of them. They are set to escort Caitlin to an off-site doctor appointment in South Austin and then take her back to the correctional complex when they're finished. Caitlin had utilized an injury complaint in order to go to this outside appointment and also to request that leg restraints in this case not be used. Yeah, now maybe in hindsight, that seems odd, but I mean, really, maybe not. I honestly don't know if that's a common request or how often injuries like that happen while in custody. I honestly have no idea. 
After the doctor appointment, Caitlin and her two escorts are leaving the building to go back to the correctional facility. And this nutty bitch takes the fuck off and leads the two poor COs on a ridiculous chase. Obviously, they're yelling for her to stop. It didn't work. So what else could they do but chase after her? And they did for about a mile. Now, I do want to say I also saw at first that it said a block and a half. So somewhere between a block and a half and a mile, Caitlin runs. And somehow during the chase, Caitlin manages to remove her black and white striped jail pants down to some thermal pants underneath. I mean, I'm going to assume that so people wouldn't know that she was coming from a jail or was an inmate. And then she proceeded to attempt to scale a six-foot wall or fence while handcuffed. Now, if that is true, that is incredibly fucking impressive. But the pictures and the video surveillance that I saw And yes, this entire thing was caught on surveillance camera, and it is funny. But the footage that I saw, she had on what looked to be black and white striped pants. So I don't know if or when throughout the course of this little mad dash that she did, she lost the pants. I don't know. But I saw the black and white pants, and it looked like a red jail scrub shirt, perhaps. And she had those on when she was attempting to scale the wall. I did laugh, though, when I watched the videos because it was just so stupid. But her Hail Mary sprint was super short-lived and Caitlin was caught and returned back to Travis County Corrections. Apparently, she learned nothing from Danilo Cavalcante. So after her escape attempt, officials at the jail checked surveillance videos that showed Caitlin had been exercising vigorously throughout the last several months up to the little mini marathon she attempted last week at the doctor's office. So of course her cell was tossed and what they found was a metal pen and dental floss that could be used to remove handcuffs. So it was obvious this had been a plan in the making for quite a while. And I guess she figured with the trial about to start this month, she was running out of time and possible opportunities to make her escape. So a couple days later, October 13th, Caitlin is charged with a felony of escape, causing bodily injury. And that added an additional $50,000 to her already enormous bond of $3.5 million. October 30th is the start date for Caitlin's trial. Now, I know her lawyer feels like there is so much to tell still in her trial. But in my opinion, like he would need to be a damn magician to pull this off. So that's all I have for this case. As it's set now, Caitlin is set to go to trial next week, beginning on October 30th. So thank you for joining me for another Solved Saturday case. Every other Saturday, I do a Solved Saturday case where I focus on a solved true crime case that has already had a legal resolution 
or is currently going through the judicial system or appeals process. Now, every Monday is Mystery Monday, and I upload a new episode focusing on a missing persons case or an unsolved mystery case. On the first of every month is a Histories Mysteries episode, and those focus on a true crime event from history that may or may not be solved. Be sure to follow me so you don't miss an episode. Share, comment, leave me a rating. All the categories. If you made it this far, you are amazing. Thank you so much for being here and have a great day.